This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we dive into the third chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, uncovering the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Immerser. It's what uh, Mr. David Stern, who did uh, a couple things here I'll recommend. Uh, he is a Messianic Jewish teacher in Jerusalem. He has a synagogue over in Jerusalem, and um, pretty large one. Uh, and he wrote a translation of the uh, of the Bible called the Complete Jewish Bible. And you're going to throw a link to that in the show notes. It's not actually my favorite translation. I actually have a bunch of issues uh, often with the way that he chooses to translate. So it's not that I recommend the translation. It's just really good for con- context work, um, contextual. Just hearing things from a Jewish perspective and learning how to speak little bits of Hebrew as you, because it'll it'll leave some of the Hebrew words untranslated and different things like that, and it's really helpful um, in a lot of ways. So, it's a translation I use daily, uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> I'm frequently frustrated with it, but I like it if that makes any sense. Um, and then he has a companion commentary on just the New Testament. So the complete Jewish Bible is Genesis through Revelation, um, but the uh, there's a companion that's just a commentary on the New Testament, and that's the uh, a New Testament, the Jewish New Testament commentary. Is that correct? Have you found it already? I haven't looked. But haven't looked it up? Okay, something like that. But David The Stern, link will be in your show notes. I assure you, you of that much. There you go. And uh, he has a little tidbit on there in his commentary. I like, um, he prefers to use the word instead of baptism or baptize, he, pre- he prefers to use the word immerser. I typically won't. I'll usually call him John the Baptist, but I really like reading his notes again today as I was preparing for this podcast because he says, in modern Jewish thought, uh, there is Jewish teaching today that says the moment you take on Christian baptism uh, is the moment that you forsake your Judaism. There's a lot of false assumptions there, and I would argue with that Jewish interpretation as a follower of Jesus quite a bit, obviously. But um, in modern Judaism and a lot of Orthodox uh, practices, the moment that you get baptized as a Christian, you are no longer, you have now, you're, you're apostate. You have now taken on something that is no longer Judaism in their mind. So instead of using the word baptism, he wants to use the word immersion to keep that conversation open. Because the ancient biblical context of immersion would have been different than the modern understanding of Christian baptism. So, Yochanan the Immerser. So, are we going to get into that in the episode? I don't know. Little bits and pieces. I have so many questions right now. Go ahead, fire one away. So, what? What is? Whatever John was doing, which was obviously not a Christian baptism. Yes. uh, As Christ was not even on the scene yet. Correct. So what what was he doing in the eyes of a, a Jewish person of the first century? Excellent. That we will get into on the podcast. Do you have any other unrelated questions? Well, no, it's all related to the baptism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's just dive in. You, you are going to pick up where we left off in the last... We read uh, Matthew chapter 2 last time, all of it. You did. And I'm just going to have you pick up. We're going to try to get every verse of Matthew. I don't want to make that commitment and then break a promise. But we're going to try to read every verse of Matthew in this podcast. So how did you just pick up right where you left off, and we'll see where this text takes us. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching. Let me, inter- let me interrupt oh, you. Oh, okay. You're in Matthew chapter? Chapter 3. Starting in verse? Uh, 1. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Every verse. <laughs> sort of. Maybe. That's right. Uh, every verse asterisk. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. All right, now we bump into a passage here. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40 is a passage that's quoted here in the Gospel of Matthew. And we've heard that passage before. Uh, Brent, where have we heard this before? Oh, well, probably an Isaiah podcast. Well, we did hear it in the Isaiah podcast, but we also heard it in another podcast. There was a group of people that had taken their calling from Isaiah chapter 40. Ah. They had felt like they were driven out into the desert to fulfill a calling. Who was this group of people? The Essenes. The Essenes. This is interesting. I don't know how much we... I would have to go back and remind myself of what we said in the Essene podcast. I don't know how much we've already hinted at or touched on this. I think we we referenced it at least once as we were talking about the Essenes. But... um, John the Baptist's father, we don't know this from Matthew, but we know it from other Gospels. Who is his, who is his father, Brent? Uh, is it Zechariah? It is, Zechariah. Um, Zechariah the... Who is Zechariah? The priest. The priest, and not just a priest, but a righteous priest. Not We actually talked about that, I believe, um, in the podcast, because he's, he's not a Sadducee. He's not called the Sadducee. He's not called a righteous Sadducee. He's called a righteous priest, telling you he's not a Sadducee, a member of this corrupt party that we looked at earlier in session three. But Zachariah, John the Baptist's father is a righteous priest. Now, who did we say the Essenes were, Brent? They were priests. They were priests. Now, I don't know if we can say, well, we can't say with any certainty that Zechariah was an Essene, but I can guarantee you that if Zechariah was a righteous priest, he definitely had sympathies for the, he would have had an outlook that was much more Essene-like, if not maybe even potentially even being an Essene himself in whatever way, shape, or form. We're told that when John the Baptist is born, they dedicate him to the Lord. Well, one of the ways that you can do that is you can take your child and you can give him to the priesthood. But if you're a righteous priest and you understand the priesthood is as corrupt as the day is long, you are not going to give your son and dedicate him to the Lord by giving him to the corrupt temple priesthood. But if you're Zechariah, where where might you give your son? Almost like a boarding school. Where where would you send him? The school of the Essenes. The school, <laughs> the school Essene of Essene University. That's right. And so what's interesting is it, Qumran it, State. Qumran. <laughs> yes, campus ministry hashtag campus ministry. Um, what's interesting is that John the Baptist baptizes in three different places throughout his ministry. I know we're kind of jumping all over here, but hang with us. John the Baptist baptizes at Bethany beyond the Jordan which is all the way up north by the Sea of Galilee. There's a bunch of arguments about where and whether or not it's Bethany or Bethabara. Or there's a couple different translation options, but it's up north by the Sea of Galilee. There's Anon near Salim, which is kind of right smack dab in the middle between Sea of Galilee and Dead Sea. And then there is the wilderness of Judea at the Jordan River. Well, that's smack dab right where Qumran is at. In fact, that's where Jesus comes out in this story to be baptized. Jesus comes out to the wilderness of Judea to be baptized by John later on in the third chapter of Matthew. That means he's less than three miles away from Qumran, where we found all the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's possible. Like John's doing work out there in the wilderness. People are coming out to him. out, And he's, he's mentioned more in the Gospels in that location than the other two. And, and so he's doing work. He could be like... It's possible that John the Baptist even had was raised by Essenes in the location of or around the neighborhood of Qumran or 
it's just a really good possibility. And it's interesting here that when you when this passage opens and we're introduced to John the Baptist, we're introduced to him using the passage that was used by the Essenes to talk about what they were doing out in the desert at Qumran in the first place. Like this is the passage that's tied. You are feeling Essene as you talk about John the Baptist here in the wilderness of Judea with the Essenes poster verse, like their poster passage, if you will. Um, but there's a little bit more going on here. We're told some interesting, uh, actually we're told that he's wearing, uh, what is he wearing, Brent? Uh, he's wearing clothes made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt. Yeah, that's what he's wearing. Wearing a leather belt around his waist. Have, have we ever, why is he doing that, Brent? Why is he wearing camel's hair and a, and a leather belt around his waist? I don't know. Perhaps that was a common clothing choice at the time. Sure uh, would be maybe an assumption you might want to make, but definitely not. Camel's hair was like a, like a Brillo pad. It would be like wearing – you don't wear the camel's hair with the leather side against your skin. You wear camel's hair with like the, the fur side against your skin. And I don't know how many of us have petted a camel. Shout out to Kevin. Um, oh. but, <laughs> hey, let's be fair. John Potter. Jo- shout out to John Potter. And George Fricks. And George, they petted the camel first. Kevin was just following suit. He was. There were two There were two apostate disciples long before there was Kevin riding the camel. <laughs> Sorry for the inside joke for all of our Baymont listeners. But uh, yeah, if you ever petted a camel, like if you can imagine, that would not be comfortable. This is not like soft. It's like wearing a Brillo pad against your skin. Um, and, and, and so it's not going to be a typical clothing choice. But yeah, why else would he? There's a phrase we're going to start using here in this podcast, especially in session three, Brent, when we start asking these questions like, why? Why is this person doing that? Why is that person doing this? What's the answer to this question going to be, Brent? Uh, it's in the text. It's in the text, right? And That's, I suppose it would be unusual for Matthew to say something if it wasn't important. Absolutely. Like this is this is important. And as is going to be the case in much of our New Testament, we talked about in our few podcasts ago, we talked about text to context. This is one of those situations. This is a text-to-context situation. John is wearing camel's hair and a belt, a leather belt around his waist, because this is in the text. Now, you have a verse out of 2 Kings in the first chapter. Go ahead and give us the verses you're going to be reading, and read us this. This is 2 Kings, so let's go all the way back. Okay, we're going to be talking about maybe like Elijah-ish. All right, give us some verses here. Mm -hmm. So chapter 1 of 2 Kings, verses 5 through 8. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? A man came to meet us, they replied. And he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending messengers to consult Beelzebub, the the god of Ekron? That's a very strange way to... Beelzebub? Beelzebub. Okay. You, you've correctly identified a New Testament, another New Testament reference, Beelzebub. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, very strange spelling here in Second Kings, though. Uh, the God of Ekron, therefore, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. Okay, so these messengers come to the king, and, and they have a pretty, we, we met this guy. We met this guy out in the desert, and he wanted us to give you this message. And it is not, it is not a fun message. It, this person is prophetically confronting the king and giving him words of condemnation. Go ahead. The king asked them, what kind of man was it who came to meet you and told you this? Who does this guy think he is, the king says. I want to know who is this guy. They replied, he had a garment of hair and had a leather belt around his waist. And the king said, 
That was Elijah the Tishbite. All right. Uh, reference to hair there in the Hebrew. This is camel's hair. This is a hide hair. Elijah is wearing this Brillo pad against his skin because, and maybe you can link in our show notes, Brent, maybe you can link our podcast on Elijah or maybe my blog post or something that can we can go back and remember like who Elijah was. Because this was the guy, if you remember, this was the fire and the passion of Elijah. Elijah, and we talked about the Mount Carmel and fire on top of the mountain and the fire he called down on the warriors as they came to, like he was all about the fire. And and Elijah wore camel's hair turned inside out because he wanted to always have the irritation. Like he wanted to always be reminded of how irritated God must be with the sin of his people. And so he wore this camel's hair. So when you see John the Baptist showing up, and he is wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. That is a direct quotation out of the book of Second Kings, chapter one. And you have you have a you have John the Baptist essentially wearing his Elijah costume, is exactly what um, uh, is happening here. And like you said, Matthew is very wise and intentional of recording those details because he wants you to connect the fact that John the Baptist is trying to tell his audience that he's Elijah. I mean, if if and this is a good time to remind the listener. Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews. Absolutely. They know this text. They're going to make the connection immediately. Immediately. Without any question or thought, they're going to be like, oh, of course, he thinks he's, he thinks he's Elijah. Um, apparently in that passage, uh, in the King's passage, uh, in Second Kings chapter 1 there, apparently people, like Elijah's costume had caught the attention of people so much that as soon as you describe him, the king's like, oh, yeah, that's Elijah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, the guy running around wearing, wearing camel's hair? That's Elijah. Like, everybody kind of knew that about Elijah. Now, if John the Baptist was a Westerner, he would have like a sermon where he says, I want you to know that I am coming to be Elijah. And here's my three reasons why I think I'm Elijah. But he's not. He's not a Westerner. He's an Easterner. And so he just shows up wearing the Elijah costume, and he doesn't have to preach a three-point sermon on the fact that he's Elijah. He just shows up wearing his Elijah costume, and everybody now knows. Now, why why sharing like why why wearing this Elijah costume? Because John the Baptist's message is going to relate to the message of Elijah. So if people were to go back and review that podcast or read that blog post or something like that, uh, why don't we do it here, Brent, while we're sitting here? What do we remember about what what are you what is your recollection of Elijah and who he is? Oh, he's a very passionate guy, uh very zealous. Uh is not is not gonna stand by while all these other gods are served. He's going to show show everyone in the land whose God is the real God uh, by whatever means necessary. And did we suggest that in Jewish tradition, there's a lesson that maybe Elijah was supposed to learn that God was trying to teach him? He doesn't have to use the extreme methods all the time and that there are other people who, who still serve the, the one true God. Yeah, that fire doesn't always change the human heart. In, in fact, maybe maybe even the story would argue that fire, all the fire and all the chutzpah and all the passion, there's a spot for it. We're not trying to get rid of it. We're not trying to get rid of it. There's a spot for the fire and the passion, but that's not what changes the human heart. That's not what transforms us. That's not what that's not what that's not what makes us into different kinds of people. And so here's John the Baptist, and he has the same kind of passion. In fact, um, John the Baptist shows up and calls everyone to repentance. Uh, we're told that entire crowds, your passage, entire crowds come out to be baptized. And in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that the about the characters in these crowds. Like some of these, uh, some of these people that come out in the crowds in Luke are tax collectors. Some are soldiers. Uh, many are cultural outcasts. 
Um, some students of the text have pointed out that it's possible that John was performing mikvah um, for a bunch of people who are not allowed to perform mikvah at the temple. Um, this would be easy to swallow considering John is the son of who, Brent? Of a priest. Uh, a priest. His name? Zechariah. Zechariah. Uh, very possibly a product of the Essenes we already talked about. Um, and if this is the case, so you mentioned um, uh, you mentioned baptism earlier. Like what? That was your question. And I said we'll talk about it in the podcast. There are two different kinds of baptism. There's a Pharisee baptism and there's a Essene baptism. And the word for washing, the word for a baptism in the Jewish world, when you said, well, John the Baptist isn't doing Christian baptism, so what is he doing? He must be doing a Jewish baptism. The word for baptism in the ancient Jewish world, they brought it back from Babylon with them, was the word mikveh. There is, and we've talked about mikveh. Where have we talked about mikveh already, Brent? Uh, in the synagogue. 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 So there, there is a mikveh. The mikveh is the baptismal. The baptismal, the baptismal pool, if you will. And then um, there's also the performance of mikvah, mikvah being the baptism itself. Okay. So there's, there's mikvah, that's baptism. There was two different kinds of baptism, Pharisee baptism and Essene baptism. The Pharisee baptism is what we would have seen in synagogue. You, you, you wash yourself. I was recently just in uh, South Bend, Indiana. Shout out to all of our South Bend listeners. I uh, went to their kosher deli down there and uh, obviously walked into an Orthodox Jewish uh, situation. Uh, we bought our falafel, which was fantastic. Probably the best stateside falafel I've had, by the way. Um, I hope nobody out there has made me falafel because then I just made them feel bad. Uh, but went to this kosher deli, got our falafel and went out to eat. And on my way out, the the gentleman at the cash register said, just so you know, we have we have a mikvah station in the back of the deli. He saw my tassels. He saw my kippah. He obviously assumed, and he was correct about my Jewish heritage. And so he was letting me know, like, before you eat, you wash. Now, typically, I don't live in an Orthodox Jewish community. I don't—Jesus was chided for not washing his hands before he ate. And this isn't a cleanliness like your mom would say, wash your hands before you eat dinner. This is a ritual Pharisaic mikvah. Now, I, I chose to go wash because I didn't want to offend my Jewish brothers and sisters there in the deli. So I went and performed mikvah in the, back of the, in the back of the deli before I went out to eat. Typically, I wouldn't typically worry about those kinds of things, especially as I'm eating with Gentiles anyway, which is already going to be offensive to the... So hopefully they didn't see me walk around the corner and start dining with my Gentile friends. But nevertheless, um, mikvah, phara, I'm getting off track here. Mikvah, pharisaical mikvah is ritualistic cleansing. It's not all, Jesus critiqued it quite heavily throughout his ministry. We'll look at some stories, I believe, where Jesus critiqued Pharisaical mikvah. Um, but it's not that he can he condemned it wholesale. I think Jesus probably participated in Pharisaical mikvah all the time. Anytime he went to synagogue, I'm sure that Jesus washed. Uh, I'm sure there were times that he did wash before he ate, and then certain days where he chose not to because that was exactly what he wanted to teach the Pharisees who were watching. Uh, I perform Pharisaical mikvah when I'm in the shower every morning. I do a daily ritual. Daily routine ritual, that's Pharisee mikvah. It's about ritual cleansing. It's more of a prayer. It's more of a prayerful liturgical act than it is one of repentance. Essene mikvah is a baptism of repentance. In fact, the word that we've called this podcast, uh, the, the, the Hebrew phrase is tavi. Okay, so it looks like tavila shuva. We've talked about shuva with which book, Brent? 
Oh, one of the prophets. Yes. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> it's uh, one of the prophets, your favorite section. Yeah, yeah, I should have. It's one of the Z prophets, and it's not John the Baptist's dad. Zephaniah. Zephaniah was the word shuva, which meant repent. And so baptism of repentance is tavila shuva. Now, my Jewish guide, his name is Yehuda. Shout out to Yehuda, who will never listen to my podcast, but nevertheless. uh, He always gives me a hard time about how I pronounce my Hebrew. We've talked about this before. Apparently, the pronunciation, I always put the emphasis on the wrong syllable whenever I speak in Hebrew. But apparently, the correct pronunciation of this is tavilat Shuva. You take the T of the Shuva and you bring it over into the Tavilat. And you put your emphasis on the V and not the T, because I always go Tavila. It's supposed to be Tavilat Shuva. So Tavilat Shuva is baptism of repentance. And that is an Essene baptism. The Essenes said, when you baptize, it is a wa- it's not just a ritual washing that you do before you eat. It's not just a ritual washing you do before you go to sin. This is a washing of repentance. Before, when you decide that you have been walking in error, in sin, and you want to start walking in the light, the Essenes were sons of light, they called themselves, to walk in the light, the Essenes would say. When you make the decision that you want to walk in the light and to walk in obedience, to walk correctly, because I have been walking incorrectly, then you repent you turn around, you return to the way that God has originally called you to walk. And when you have repented and not before, but when you have repented and said, today, I start walking in a new way, you tell everybody that's watching, I have decided publicly that I have been in error and I'm going to start walking accurately. And you go down and you immerse yourselves. That is that is called a baptism of repentance. It is something that you do to yourself, like nobody else does it to you. People are going down to be baptized by John is a reference more to John's authority and John's program than it is no, John's not dunking people into the water. That's a Christian idea. In the Jewish world, you baptize yourself. So you go down into the water and you dip yourself and you perform your own mikvah. Nobody, nobody dunks you under the water. And so that is a, that's what John is doing. John is going out to the Jordan and John is telling everybody, you are walking in error. You are walking in sin. You are walking in disobedience. This is not what God has designed for you. You can hear the Elijah. Why is John wearing his light? By the way, do you know those three locations? Bethany beyond the Jordan, uh, Anon near Salim, and the wilderness of Judea. Why is John baptizing in those three locations? Brent. Seems like there's got to be some Elijah connections there. It's going to be in the text, right? It's going to be in the text. Those are the same three places where we have major Elijah stories. So it's not just a costume. It's even where John is choosing to do his ministry. At Bethany beyond the Jordan, that's going to be where Elijah was fed by the ravens. Mm, okay. Right before the story of Mount Carmel. Anon near Salim is where he commissions Elisha, we say Elisha, his disciple, and gives him his cloak, and after, and then the cloak is used to cross the. Ooh, I think I'm actually mixing my stories up all of a sudden. I just got really nervous about that. <laughs> because the third place, the Judean wilderness, that is where Elijah goes up in chariots of fire. Okay. So now my listeners are going to have to go double check all those same things. Yeah. But those three locations are three major Elijah stories. So you can hear. So if, it's like the difference in dressing up as Mickey Mouse and going to the mall. 
Or dressing up as Mickey Mouse and going and standing outside Disney World. Yeah. Good metaphor. I like that. I like that. Yes, that's exactly right. John's message has all these Elijah undertones to it. You are in sin. You need to repent. This is the spirit of Elijah living in John the Baptist. And so he goes to the same locations and he stands in the water of the Jordan River. And he tells them that it's time to repent. And he tells them, Tavila Tshuva. It's time for a baptism of repentance. Get in the waters, walk the right way. And again, in Luke, we were told all about these tax collectors. What should we do? And and he tells the tax collectors, don't take more money than you have to, which is the whole, I mean, that's how a tax collector makes a living. So what are you going to do then? And then the soldiers are like, well, what should we do? Well, you should not use your power to extort other people. Well, okay. What, What should we do? Other people say, if you have two cloaks, give one away. Like John is all, you are not walking in obedience because you are not being the kinds of people that God called you to be back in session one and two of our podcast. We looked at this call to bless all nations. And then in session two, we looked at how people lost the plot of the story and started to build their own empires. John is calling out God's people to return to the plot of the story. Remember that even though this is session three of our podcast, we have not lost the original plot. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus by calling people back to the original story, all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the call of the people to be hospitable, to be people who trust the story, to be people that live at the crossroads of the earth. This is what John, and so even though we say John the Baptist is very Essene-like, this is where John the Baptist departs from being an Essene. Because he's not just going to hang out at Qumran and write a bunch of scrolls. He has a passion for the text. He has a passion for walking the text. But he's taking the Essene worldview, and he's taking it on mission to bring it to the world and say, this is how God wants you to walk. I'm bringing the path to you. You see, the Essenes said, people are going to come to us, and they're going to ask us for the path. John says, I'm not waiting around for that. He's got the fire of Elijah, and he says, I'm going to go take the path to them. And I'm going to make them choose to walk the path. And so this is what John the Baptist is doing. And so go ahead and pick up where you left off in Matthew 3, Brent. Uh, One second before we go on. Yes. So the Essenes did did this kind of baptism, this baptism of repentance. Yes. We talked about how when they were uh, copying scrolls, they would uh, wash... Was it before or after every time they, yeah, they wrote I know where this question is going. Yep. God's name? Is this yep. the same kind of baptism? See, it feels almost pharisaical, doesn't it? It feels almost ritualistic. In, well, in that case, yeah. Yeah. And yet they connected it in their mind to God's name is so holy, so holy that before I can write the name of God, and I think if I go, go back, it has to be the name of God, the, the, the holy, ineffable yod heh vad heh name of God. I don't think it was just the reference to Elohim. I think it was the actual name of, of the Lord. Um, that is so holy that I have to go make my, I need to get back on the path. Even in the moment that I've stood here writing scrolls, that name is so holy, I have strayed enough that I need to go make sure my heart and my mind is right. So it's it feels a little ritualistic. It feels a little pharisaical. But, but in their mind, but it, it's was, that it was still, absolutely. It's not like... Okay, you know, whenever right. we feel like we have a problem, then we'll do this one kind of baptism. But yes. then we've got this other thing that we just kind of like make sure we make sure we've got all our bases covered. Right. Like they're doing the full thing every time. Yes. So that devotion of the Essenes that we looked at before carries through. And this is the fire and the devotion that John brings to himself, to his ministry. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't just go through the motions. 
um, which actually is going to lead us into this next little section here. This is his concern in the next paragraph. Listen to this. All right. Back in uh, verse 7 here. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. So the Parashim and the Zadokim come out to John. And the, now this is the group. I, I, John is call, this is a group that is like the epitome of what John is calling the people away from. Like, I need you to be about generosity. I need you to take care of other people. I need you to restore the purity and the devotion of our walk. And here come the Perushim and the Zadokim, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And John's like, what? who told you to flee from the... Co-? Like, this is a very group of people he's condemning. Don't you come out here and play a game. Like, this is no game. Like, you have to... And listen to what he says. What he says is pure essing. What was the phrase that he used? Produce what? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. John's like, I ain't baptizing people just who, who want to put on a show. Like, if you want to get baptized here, then you go produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Like, you go prove that you've taken on a new way because you, you are walking in the very path that I'm telling people to get off of. So you go prove that you want to walk differently before you come out here and take this baptism. Like, he is, he is all fired up, right? Okay, keep, keep going. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, now we need to stop right there. I know there's some more coming, but um, this is John's, like, this is a great illustration of, of John's theology. John is not a fan of the leadership um, of God's people at this time, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's inviting the people of God, not the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's inviting the people of God to repent and follow after God, not the misguided devotion of the Pharisees or the corrupted system of the Sadducees. This is one fiery Essene influenced dude, uh, influenced teacher, uh, holding revivals out in the desert, outside of bounds of religious systems and power. Like I was starting to say earlier, some people, some biblical students and scholars and teachers uh, believe that John, what John is doing here is he's providing mikvah because the Sadducees have co-opted mikvah and the Pharisees have kept people away from, there's all these people, like the Pharisees say, all oh, these people aren't allowed and those people aren't allowed. The Sadducees, unconnected from the, uh, disconnected from the Pharisees, have created their own temple purity system where you have to come get baptized by them. And some scholars have suggested what John's doing out in the desert as a descendant of a priest, because his dad is Zechariah, that as a priestly descendant, John is saying, forget all those temple systems. I've got the mikvah that you need right here in the desert. If that's true, what John is doing is pretty pretty ballsy. And in fact, the did I just use that phrase on a podcast? I did. Um, that Truman State, too. Um, so... Uh, what John is doing here is John is um, using a metaphor here about the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be thrown, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In another gospel, the winnowing fork is in his hand, uh, and he is about to throw at the. Thr- he stands at his threshing floor, and his winnowing fork is in his th- in his hand. What's significant about a threshing floor, Brent? Why that image? Um, harvest. Is there something built on a threshing floor? Ooh, probably. Yeah, somebody built a building on a threshing floor. It's a pretty big building. It's a pretty it? important building. Elijah. Not Elijah. <laughs> okay. But there's a really uh, big important building. 
Starts with a T. A temple. The temple. They built the temple on a threshing floor. Really? Yes. So David buys the threshing floor. If you remember, David buys the threshing floor, and the guy comes to him in the Old Testament, and which is obviously where the story of David is. And the guy comes to David and says, just have the threshing floor. And David refuses and says, I will not take from you and build God's temple on oh, something that cost right, me nothing. Right. And so he buys the threshing floor, and that's the place where the temple ends up being built. So why is John the Baptist used this image where he says, God stands at his threshing floor and the winnowing fork. This is this is John the Baptist throwing down some fire on the priesthood. He's like John God is standing at at his temple and he is going to judge it. Like he is going to winnow his grain. And he is going judgment is at hand. Like you can hear all this fire. The axe is at the root of the tree and he's going to chop it down and it's going to be thrown into the fire. Go ahead and finish the passage here. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. See, I should just let you finish reading that passage. I didn't realize it was coming out of Matthew. It happens. Should have been more prepared. (laughs) I was thinking Luke in my head, but there you go. So there's that reference there. Um to the winnowing fork in his hand. And even the reference to Holy Spirit and fire, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with spirit and with fire or another gospel with water and with fire. Those are images of judgment. Where was the first time we ran into water, Brent? Uh, Major water other than creation. The flood, judgment. How about fire? Where was the first baptism of fire? Somebody was baptized with fire. One of the plagues? Not quite. No. Although although spirit and fire will absolutely make you think of the Exodus yeah. in this gospel. In other references, water and fire, there was a city that was rained down oh, with fire. Oh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. You see, we just think, and we automatically start connecting this to like, like Pentecostal movements and baptism and sacraments and Christian everything. What John is saying here is very Jewish. Like John is talking about text. And he's talking about judgment, like judgment is coming. John's understanding is that Messiah is coming and Messiah is going to bring a kingdom of God with him. And this kingdom of God is coming with fire and with judgment. John uses electric language about an ax at the root of the tree and a winnowing fork, purging the threshing floor and a baptism of fire, hearkening the reader to the first baptism of Sodom and Gomorrah. And John believes that judgment is at hand and the people need to repent. So here's my question that I'm going to leave unanswered for now. We'll come back to it later in our study here in session three. My unanswered question is, is, does John have a correct assessment of the situation? Like, does John see this correctly? John has this message, and he's preparing the way for Jesus, and he's calling people to repentance, and he's telling them to walk the path correctly. And there's so much about his message that I think he has right. But does does he have all of his theology right? Is this really going to be a, is that what Messiah has come to do? Is that what Messiah has come is to bring judgment? And we're gonna have a we're gonna have a conversation between Jesus and John the Baptist later on in in the Gospels and in the ministry of Jesus. Um, but that's gonna be that's gonna be a question I want to leave hanging here. Is John the Baptist comes to prepare a way? And I think we just read his stuff and we're like, yeah, John the Baptist. But I think the Bible here is asking us to consider. Is John the Baptist have his theology correct? Is his message correct? Did John learn the lessons of Elijah? Ah, has he learned the lessons of Elijah? Because if we were tracking with that earlier in this podcast, we were already wrestling with that. 
why is John doing this if Elijah was taught something else? And you can, you, can, you can feel that spirit of Elijah and John the Baptist. It seems to me that Jesus said he came not to condemn the world, but to save it. To shine light in dark places, which is a very Essene idea, sons of light. So what's going on here? In order to answer the question, uh, we're going we're gonna to leave that question hanging in order to answer it. And later on in Jesus' ministry, we're going to come back to this idea. And it's going to be a pretty big. It's going to be a pretty big uh, idea because I believe that this is. I mean, I've made this case already in passing, and we'll keep dealing with it as we walk through session three. I believe John the Baptist is Jesus' rabbi. That adds a whole other layer of complexity to this, because Jesus, at some point, is going to have to step outside the bounds of the teaching of his rabbi. And extra credit to any of my Bible students that know which story in the Gospels he's going to do this. Because he's going to, at some point, John the Baptist is going to say, listen, this is the guy. He's actually going to do that a few different times. This is the guy we're looking for. This is the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. This is, this is the guy. I can't even untie his, like all kinds of references from John the Baptist, recognizing the authority and the place of Jesus as Messiah. And somewhere along the way, Jesus is going to step outside of John's ideas and his theology, and he's going to say, John, you have your theology wrong. Um, So there you go. We'll come back to that later. Unresolved thought to end episode 91. We do love the tension. We do. Uh, So if if you're not in a discussion group, I would definitely encourage you to do so, because this tension and this wrestling with what we're talking about is always better in groups, people. Uh, Marty, I think you recently got to meet uh, uh, one of our groups. I think you referenced it just just a few moments ago, Truman State, right? Yeah, got to go to Missouri, and they asked me to come out and speak at a conference or a men's retreat that they did, and I got to speak at their worship service, and really good to meet some of our listeners in Missouri, all the way out there, central part of the country. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find more details uh, about the show, about how to do a discussion group, where our current discussion groups are. All of that's at baymawdiscipleship.com. So thanks for joining us on the Baymaw Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.